All right. Well, we are back. UFC Vegas 44 went down Saturday, December 4th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. And the event was headlined by a men's bantamweight bout between the number four ranked Rob Font as he faced the former UFC featherweight champion and number five ranked Jose Aldo. And what can you say? Jose Aldo picked up the win, defeating Rob Font by unanimous decision, cashing as the plus 125 underdog. And uh, I'm here to talk about it with my man, Liam Picks Fights. What is up, everybody? Nice to be back, not only for, you know, another recap show, but also for, uh, you know, coming back from the holiday break. And uh, this was a good one, man. This is just a classic fight night, you know, in the deep, deep night of a, a Saturday night on not on pay-per-view, but just on like a good old espn card this is a good one and uh thanks for staying up late with me to break this one down how'd you think of uh how'd you do and how what did you think about this one uh, as a card absolutely my man it's a pleasure to be here al uh thank you very much for having me on and yeah it was a tough night for me from a betting perspective but who could be mad at the uh you know slate of fights that we had it was a really entertaining card and honestly a lot of the bets that I made, I feel like I would go back to the well on them. You know, I, I felt good about the bets going in. Uh, and some of them, you know, I feel like kind of kind of just made a bad bet uh, and got to learn from it. You know, was pretty invested in Brad Riddell, didn't perform to my expectations by example. So I think that uh, there's some lessons to be learned and also, you know, some bad beats. It was kind of a weird card. Uh, it felt like Jose Aldo could have pursued a finish a little more aggressively uh, and chose not to. And then he, he mentions in the post fight, I wanted to prove I could go five rounds. Well, yeah, he laid on him for two minutes doing nothing at the end. So really made it look like that. And uh, as somebody who had uh, some exposure on the under, the fight doesn't go, you know, that trend continued uh, to bite me. But I do think that, you know, regression is going to come uh, on that front sooner or later. And uh, this seemed like a, a place where, you know, he basically knocked him out five times and submitted him and still couldn't finish him. I just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it because I was on the same boat with you. I pretty much, I already knew what was going to happen. I had, I had fight goes the distance. No, and that one at plus money as well. And, you know, we'll get into it. There was uh speaking of which there was nine of the 13 fights didn't go the distance. So a flat bet on the fight goes the distance no tonight nine and four for plus 5.94 units profit and then the underdog cashed in uh six of the 13 fights so the underdog uh flat bet six and seven for 3.87 units on the money line so you know being contrarian tonight definitely paid off uh it was you know just talking about uh, there was also the the four coin flip fights within like the range of uh, minus one fifty, minus one fifty as a favorite, uh, and the favorite cash in three of the four of those. It was just one of those nights where it was like when the when the odds were close, it seemed like it, it swayed towards a favorite. But you know there was a bunch of these, and we'll get into it. Uh, it you know the dog came through and and just you know just typical, just typical MMA fashion and. Uh, you know the the first fight not really you know obviously it just for me it was just a, a workman performance from alex morono here uh you know cash is a minus 230 favorite 
plus 125 by decision. The over cash pretty easily, minus 185. Fight goes the distance, yes. Cash at minus 155. Nothing really, like, uh, nothing out of the ordinary for me. What did you have? What did you think about this one? Yeah, this was a fight that, uh, you know, I, I had put a little bit of faith in Mickey Gall here that was probably unwarranted. I had a half unit shot on him at plus 210. So it seemed like I got the best of the line. Um, you know, it had floated around uh, a little bit shorter of a price. I got it at the peak, but, uh, you know, he didn't really fight to a very solid game plan, in my opinion. Um, kind of just engaged in a tepid, you know, range kickboxing match where he was getting out volumed and that wasn't really a good path for him to win. Uh, my prediction was that he was going to win the fight by first round knockout. I feel like Morono is like really loose with his entries and kind of comes in reckless. And I thought that Gall would be a little sharp early and didn't see the volume or the, uh, you know, the precision shots that I had seen in some past fights. So uh, just a weird fight to me. One of the least inspiring on the card, if I'm honest. But the story behind it was nice uh, about his father being there. That was a really nice story. So credit to Alex Morono. Like you said, workmanlike. But yeah, really nothing to write home about. And, you know, they were talking about on the broadcast, giving him a step up in competition. That will be something I'm looking to fade um, in all likelihood with the three fight win streak. Uh, if I could get the right opponent. Granted, he does have an awkward style. You know, it seems like guys have a tough time adjusting uh, to, you know, the weird movements that he's doing. But I I feel like somebody with a lot of confidence, a la Chaos Williams, will just see what he's doing is uh, a little bit loopy and a little bit loose uh, and throw something down the pipe that ends his night early. Uh, so that's how I feel about that one. Yeah, it's funny. Like, he... He has such a sneaky eight and three record in his last 11 fights. Uh, you know, he's just one of those guys. He's come through a couple of times big as an underdog in that run. So he's had uh, he's turned, um, you know, five and a half units on the decision prop in his last 11 fights. So he's one of these guys. He has the that um, that mixture of that awkward style. But also he's 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 got a ton of cardio. And he just uses it in a way that he's very uh, efficient. He doesn't have, uh, you know, he, he has kind of awkward motion, but he doesn't really, he doesn't really put his, uh, you know, any, he doesn't really put any type of effort into things that he doesn't have to as far as grappling and stuff like that. He doesn't really get into those exchanges unless he has to. And the thing is, is like, it, it seems like the UFC really does him a favor because this was, this was another one of those matchups where, I thought, you know, if if Mickey Gall, he was only he was going to have a small window to win this, and if he didn't do it early, it, he, it's just going to end up being goaded into a tit for tat fight, a stand up fight against, you know, a, to be honest, a much more sound stand up fighter in Alex Morono. So to me, I thought this one was, uh, you know, I never really liked to lay the lumber on a fight goes to distance, but at minus one fifty five, I thought this was a solid play and uh at no point at no point did i think that there was uh any you know going to be any issue there getting out of this one in uh inside the distance uh just not not too much of a finisher morono you know unless it's somebody like Cerrone. but uh yeah just a good workmanlike performance it's literally the only thing that i wrote down for my notes on this was just alex morono workmanlike performance and uh to move on to the next fight this one was super interesting uh chris curtis cashes as a plus 270 underdog 
via second round TKO with punches and knees over Brendan Allen, plus 500 uh, by TKO, plus 425 inside the distance. The under cashed at minus, uh, minus 110. Fight goes the distance, no, minus 135. And I mean, besides the obvious, just a crazy upset here. But I got to say, there was, I, I, I thought, I thought Brendan Allen was, uh, I, I thought he was going to be the chance. I think he was actually the biggest favorite on the card tonight. But I thought this was, uh, I, I thought, you know, I had a small play on Curtis. So I wasn't overly surprised here. What'd you think about this one? Yeah, I can't say that I was overly surprised either. Um, and the fight played out just a, a little bit different than my expectations. You know, I thought it was Allen that was going to be on the other end of this knockout here um, because of the, you know, the height, uh, the reach, um, which, you know, in tandem, I thought would be a little bit to his benefit. I thought Curtis was going to have to punch up at him. Uh, but Curtis, smart move, went to the body, got his hands to come low and then checked him with the hook uh, in close. And I had, uh, you know, this was one of my bright spots on the card, uh, 0.75 units on the fight to end by KO at plus 300. So felt Ooh, pretty nice. good about that bet. Thank you. Uh, and I also had 0.45 units on Allen KO at plus 900. The rest of the market was about plus 550. Uh, so I just felt like that was a stale line and I needed to take advantage. But, you know, overall, my only regret is that when I was first breaking this down, my plan was to bet both guys by KO and then uh, to also bet fight ends by KO. And instead, you know, I just ended up uh, front loading fight ends by KO as my way of covering the Curtis possibility. And so instead of having the plus 300 and the plus 480, I just settled with the plus 300 there. And um, that's, that's my only regret, but otherwise, yeah, man, it, it played out relative to expectations. I thought Allen was going to make it a pissing match. I just thought it was something that he might be able to win. Uh, and instead it's Curtis with the power and the precision. I was a little worried for Curtis, given the damage he had coming in, you know, his eye was fucked up in his last fight. And I thought he still had like, some visible damage on his face, but the guy is a soldier. He's talking about fighting again next weekend. So salute action, man. If he has that kind of plus money distinction by his name again, you know, I'm going to feel like a fool if I don't take advantage, frankly. Yeah. I mean, and that goes back to something that me and you were talking about uh, off air. It's just like, yeah, if, I mean, you know, this is now two times for me that I've, I've cashed on him as a big underdog. What's, you know, at this point, why, why not? Even who, who you know, who's going to be up against? I can only lose one more unit, right? Like I'm not, I'm not going to play it stupid and go in, you know. So you come in reckless, you you just play discipline, and you know, Chris Curtis is one of those guys. You're up now, huge plus money if you've bet him. And uh, yeah, I got to say, I I feel like Brendan Allen, with all due respect, might be a little bit broken. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I couldn't see him being the, the sizable favorite that he was. It was him and Manel cop and, you know, Manel cop is a former rising champion and he was a minus like opened at a minus 200 and then moved to about a minus 300 Brandon Allen, kind of the opposite opened at a high level and then kind of started taking the Curtis started taking money uh yesterday and early this morning uh and I just I wasn't surprised I thought this was easily gonna I thought this was gonna 
I thought Curtis could easily pulled off the upset here, and I put a fourth of a unit uh, on Curtis. And then another thing that I wanted to mention, something that's happening now in middleweight, uh, 101 fights in the middleweight division since the start of 2020, and the total has now gone to the under 51 of those 101 fights. So almost right down the middle now. So basically, if you're getting under at plus money, under two and a half rounds at plus money, and even at minus 110, and these lower level middleweight fights at in the UFC, I think you got to take it because the the bookies aren't lining these fights correctly. This you know you shouldn't have been able to get if you look at it in hindsight that minus 115 mm-hmm. minus 112 on the under in this fight that seemed like easy pickings to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, I didn't get there with a tracked bet, but when I saw it uh, on the live markets and uh, at the casino today, uh, for minus 135, uh, fight doesn't go to decision. I just, I had to get involved there. Um, And I normally opt for the fight doesn't go. Um, If there's not a significant difference, it wasn't a huge difference here, about uh, 10, 20 cents. And so I opted for the fight doesn't go. And yeah, man, it it was pretty sweat free here. I, I felt like one way or another, somebody was uh, more likely to get finished in this fight uh, than not. Yeah. Probably 60 plus percent. The only reason that I like to track the under and the over is because you kind of get a little bit of a variance with how each book lets to set their lines based on those, you know, they kind of have this weird formula about what a fight goes the distance. No is relative to what an under is. You know, so you kind of you can you, you're kind of able to expose a little bit of that. Uh, you know, if if you look on a site like Best Fight Odds or whatever, you can see that sometimes the the under will be the same price as the fight goes the distance. No, so in that sense, yeah, why would I take the under when you can get it for the same price on you know two and a half minutes? Uh, it's just one of those things where, like I said, if you're getting plus money on these lower level middleweight fights in the UFC going into 2020. I'm going to continue to talk about this because this is one of those things where you shouldn't be getting, you shouldn't have got plus money in, in that fight uh, for fight goes to distance. No, or not plus money, but even in that coin flip range minus 150 or better. I thought I, I, I regret not uh, having a full unit on that one. Cause it seems like uh, it just seemed like easy to me. But yeah, we kind of talked about this one a little bit more than we should have. The next one, this is the one that will probably have the most uh, talking points. Clay Guida comes out as a huge underdog here. Uh, Cashes as the plus 200 underdog second round submission. He cashed at plus 1700 to win by submission. Six to one odds inside the distance. The under cashed at plus 150. And fight goes distance no at uh, minus one ten, and uh, yeah, what what can you say? What do you what do you have to say about this one? Oh, this is the grossest fight on the card for me uh, by far in terms of my betting results. You know, I feel like I put my money in a, a fairly good position. I sniffed out the Leo Santos money line as a bit of a trap spot. You know, you don't really want to invest in forty one year olds at minus two hundred, but I felt like this was. You know, a fight that was very winnable for Leo Santos. I felt like he was the better striker. I felt like he was the better grappler. Uh, and I thought that, you know, he was going to be able to club and sub Clay Guida in the first round. And uh, 
it looked like he was well on the way to doing that. You know, he drops Clay Guida, has him badly hurt. And, you know, I think some people weren't giving enough credit to the fact that, you know, he had hurt Clay to the body. So he didn't want to start punching him in the head. He was like trying to punch his body over and over and over. And Clay was very badly affected by it. Then he's like, all right, I guess that's not working. So he knees him in the face, knocks his mouth guard out. And uh, still just Clay Guida, soldier of fortune, never quit on himself. And, you know, I feel like more often than not, you know, I don't want to be a bitter, uh, you know, person here. It's like, it happens that variance goes uh, for and against you. I cashed uh, Grant Dawson uh, plus 1200 round three against Leo Santos last time with like one second on the clock. So, you know, variance, variance goes both directions and I acknowledge that, but yeah, 46 unanswered strikes. I had Santos round one at plus 550. I had Santos submission at plus 500. Uh, both of those were small bets. And then I had uh 0.8 units or uh, yeah, 0.8 units on uh, Santos to win inside the distance at plus 220. Uh, and Again, I felt like all of that was super live. I felt like uh, the rationale played out as expected. Just didn't go our way. Congrats, yeah. Clay Guida, money linebackers. That was a smart bet. Yeah, like to me, first of all, I mean, I feel like we could do a whole podcast about this this fight because, like, just to me, you know, first of all, when is there ever? been i think this might be the first ever ufc lightweight fight or but guida isn't officially 40 but he's like he was 39 and 360 uh one days because i believe he turns 40 in like four days so i believe that this is the first ever ufc fight between two men in their 40th birth year ever so you know a, a ufc lightweight fight between two 40 year olds right away i was just like if you're telling me that i'm betting on the favorite who's a 41 year old man against clay guida there's no chance that i would ever do that and even if you know minus 185 it's it was just i i tweeted it very early this morning like if there could ever be a trap line in mma that was the trap line and it was just so easy to see just bet fight goes the distance no you know like that was the way to get out of that variance for me and that's what i cashed on and i i know there's probably a lot of people that would say well it's easy for you to say that but it's just that's the way that that's it's the way that the market was set up like you're getting fight goes the distance no at plus 130 you know with all due respect it's an old man fight you know i'd rather use the variance on my side which ended up working because Guida pulled off the win, right? And against, you know, a high-level submission grappler, it doesn't matter. You know, it it doesn't matter in that type of a fight. It doesn't matter how high-level your submission grappling is. You're against Clay Guida. You know, you're the guy has like I, some of the most, at least in his division, the most fights in the UFC. You're not gonna. You know, you have the window that you have to take him out is so small. And this, it was just a trap line. And this is another one where I, I know I see a lot of people that had a an issue <laughs> in this fight because of the, the non-stoppage. I didn't have a problem with it. It's just, I don't know. I, I thought that this is going to be a fight that was full of variance because it's a 40-year-old lightweight fight. And uh, 
yeah, just to be honest, I wasn't I wasn't overly surprised. And yeah, uh, I didn't have a Clay Guida money line bet. I couldn't say that, but I just thought there's no way I'm betting Santos money line. And I thought the best uh, the best way to go was uh, the fight goes the distance. No, uh, yeah, and Clay Guida now improves to five and four in his last nine fights, and he's turned a profit of three point four units on the money line in that stretch. Stretch so unbelievable stretch for him. And uh, yeah. What can you say? Any last thoughts about that one? I had a lotto oh. ticket parlay on this fight. Sorry, I had my mic muted, but uh, no worries. It advanced on fight ends by submission at plus three thirty. So I did. I did think uh, you know I wanted that little bit of uh, room there, like you mentioned. I did think somebody was getting finished here and. I don't put it past anybody to get submitted once they're dog tired. And we've seen evidence in the past that Leo Santos, like past one and a half rounds, even in fights that are going well for him at this point, uh, starts to show that death gas where anything is possible. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I felt like that was a live possibility did add live to the fight. Doesn't go. Um, but yeah, didn't get it on my tracked record and uh, trying to give out bets that win for people as well. So uh, unfortunate for me, I did not get in on that. Uh, should have just taken the free money that was there on the fight doesn't go, but I don't know. That kind of scared me too, man. I was like, are they thinking that, you know, Santos grits out the decision? I was kind of just, uh, fooled by what the bookies would be thinking there, but old man fight got to go with violence. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think we'll ever see another 40 year old, lightweight fight in the ufc again i hope not but i know that it's funny i know that bj penn the last time that we got the closest to this was bj penn clay guida and clay guida was like 37 then so hopefully i mean they're gonna run out of how many other 40 year old lightweights there there, there can't be any unless darren elkins oh that's, that's how old darren, is Lozon? He he's got to be 40 yeah, yeah you get Lozon in there with one of these guys it's, it's I, not well, out of the it, realm I, th I think I I got it I think Darren Elkins Clay Guida I know uh, uh Darren Elkins is a featherweight but that just and they has both are at alpha male I think yeah they probably those guys probably train together but that just sounds like a classic just pure old school UFC veteran old man fight uh <laughs> I'd sign up for it yeah, so you know that was just classic, uh, classic fight night violence, and then this next one, uh, <laughs> you want to talk about uh, fight night violence? This was two guys who were coming off having their limbs <laughs> contorted in their previous fights with Jamal Hill taking on Jimmy Crute, and Jamal Hill pulling off a pretty massive upset here, coming through as a plus one seventy underdog. Uh, the first round KO, uh, TKO, KO cashes at plus 250. Inside the distance cashes at plus 260. The under cashes at even money, uh, about plus 103-ish. And then fight goes to distance, no, minus 300. Uh, $100 better now who's back Jamal Hill on the inside the distance prop uh, since his UFC debut in 2019 has now turned a profit of $485 in that stretch. He's five and one. 
uh that only his only loss is his previous fight uh you know where uh where he had you know the the arm and the the shoulder injury there uh so you know and all all of his other wins are stoppage wins this guy you know kind of got right back on the horse there with a win uh what did you see what did what did you see in this one uh what did you have yeah so this is going to be uh you know one of those spots that haunts me that I didn't get this on my track record. I picked, um, you know, Jamal Hill to win this fight in terms of my official prediction. I had Jamal Hill second round TKO, uh, and man, it didn't last that long. Um, I thought that Jamal Hill on the feet here would have a pretty sizable advantage. Um, he's, you know, fast. He cuts decent angles. He's got long punches, and he's kind of awkward. So, you know, I think that it's going to be hard for people to get a good read on him and. You know, Crute got set on fire by Anthony Smith uh, in his last fight with the jab, uh, with pretty basic kickboxing. Um, so I felt like Jamal Hill was going to have some success. Didn't expect it to be so early in the fight. You know, I thought he was going to deal with some adversity and get taken down. Uh, and ultimately, my regret here, what I was writing down during your intro, uh, was throw out interviews, man, because I, I was kind of, uh, you know, scared off of Jamal Hill's side here because he mentioned that he was dealing with some injuries in camp and whatever. And so maybe if it was a longer fight, that would have been borne out and we would have seen that. But yeah, ultimately just regret that I didn't get the Jamal Hill money line bet down uh, live market. I saw plus 242 or uh, yeah, plus uh, 242 on Jamal Hill inside the distance had to take that. Um, so I, I got in on that line. I was very happy about that. Uh, also got in on uh, Jamal Hill, round two and round three KO. Uh, it was that kind of night for me, but you know, uh, I still overall profited on the fight and was glad that I had a decent enough read there. But yeah, I think uh, light heavyweight violence is like my, my best uh, predictor. And I don't think that the, um, you know, the, the fight doesn't go it was like minus 300, but I also thought that that was like uh, a pretty sure thing. So it was in most of the parlays that I had for today. Um, but you know, uh, uh, other uh, unfortunate events from the prelims caused those to crash. Yeah, I had a, a full unit on the under in this fight, and I thought that uh, under one and a half rounds at plus 105, and I thought that that was – I was quite comfortably confident about that. I didn't want to double down because I was very confident that there was no chance that this fight was going to go the distance, but I wasn't going to double down if I was already on that under. I wasn't going to – you know, compound a loss by uh, being also on the no there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jamal Hill, it, it just seems like, yeah, you said the thing about uh, with the way that Jim, uh, Anthony Smith was able to just take Jimmy Crute's legs apart. I feel like, you know, Jamal Hill, you mentioned the thing about the interviews. Some, you know, interviews are really good for content and really good for like creating a talking points, but a lot of the time, based on my experience, you can you can almost never use people's what they're saying in the lead up to fight, uh, you know, either for or against them. Sometimes people sound, you know, very, you know, look at someone like Rose Nama Yunus, like she sounds rarely ever overly confident uh, in the lead up to a fight and then ends up starching her opponents. And Jamal Hill, he just seems like even before the fight, he didn't he didn't even look like he wanted to be there. You know, and then that step in, just the perfectly timed counter, uh, just a thing of beauty. And then to call out Paula Costa, 
like just uh, you know this guy's thinking you know 3d chess here just to think of paula costa moving up to light heavyweight wanting to take a crack at uh you know a ranked fighter in jamal hill i mean i that's I kind think of he fucks up paula i think he fucks him up maybe i'm wrong about that but i think he would fuck him up I mean, I, I'm not even gonna. I, I'm not even gonna doubt you. I'm just gonna not doubt that that's that's a, an amazing fight. You know what I mean? Like the thing about Paula Costa at light heavyweight is that I think that he might be able to he'd be able to show more of his you know Brazilian jiu jitsu uh, because he'd be forced to use more of his grappling. Uh, and I I feel like a, a, in a guy a guy like Jamal Hill, especially based on how he you know was against Paul Craig that might be a bad matchup just because of the size but you know <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not back in Paul Acosta in, in any fight basically unless it's like in Bellator right now uh so yeah I would probably be on Jamal Hill in that matchup but just the you know the the cojones to come in and call out that fight and to match make that and then he also called out uh uh who was the other guy that he called out um uh, I forget his name, but <laughs> he had a he had another call out if Costa wasn't gonna wasn't gonna come in there. So Jamal Hill, he's he's making uh, making moves, and I thought, I you know the light light heavyweight division, there isn't really that much going on. So if somebody wants to make a case for a top five, uh, comp, uh, you know, to come in and put their name on, you know, to end up being a headliner in one of these fight night cards. I thought Jamal Hill really did a good job of, you know, putting his name out there now with another big stoppage win. I know he has the win over Kitson Abreu that was taken off of his record because of the, the marijuana, which is now, you know, should be redacted because of USADA going against that. But either way, he's got four stoppage wins in his last, in five fights. And, uh, I think sky's the limit for Jamal Hill, especially with this kind of thin, uh, light heavyweight division. So yeah, that brings us to the co-main event, and this one was pretty good. Not my not my high spot. This is a super entertaining fight, but definitely one where I took two big L's. Rafael Fizayev takes out Brad Riddell as a minus one twenty favorite. Third round TKO standing wheel kick. Uh, Fizayev by TKO plus 350 inside the distance plus 335 under two and a half rounds cashed at plus 185 by 30 seconds or no by 10 seconds actually uh, with the fight ending at the two minute and 20 second mark of the third round and fight goes a distance no cashed at plus 260 and uh, yeah what did you think about this one? Oh it absolutely brutalized me man um you know, this was a fight that I was excited about. Uh, did my tape study, came out of it feeling like Brad Riddell was going to be in a pretty good position here. Um, and wasn't the fight that I expected. You know, I thought that Brad Riddell uh, was going to be able to improve as the fight went on. You know, he's a, a fighter that tends to build a little bit uh, into the fight. I thought he looked a little stiff and a little rigid. Um, I thought that, you know, a few times he kind of threw um, like lunging low kicks uh, to close the distance um, that, that created a lot of damage and um, some pretty easy intercepting counters. 
Uh, and I didn't expect that. You know, it just looked like a little bit of uh, underperformance from Brad. Uh, but that being said, you know, Fazeev looked great. And I wasn't one of the guys who was saying that um, Fazeev is a bomb or something like this. I just thought that Brad was going to be a little bit better. You know, I've had a, a lot of success uh, in some contender series fights, backing guys who are going against like a coach, uh, somebody who's like, uh, you know, a, a figure of authority to them uh, if they're a younger guy. Uh, and I kind of thought that that was the dynamic in this fight, um, you know, where the the young lion who's been learning under Brad Riddell uh, was going to get the vet lesson. And, you know, instead it's Fazive who just looked a little more dynamic, a little more durable, which surprised me um, given his track record in the UFC. Uh, and his cardio looked a little bit improved here as well. So I thought that he made a really good account of himself. Um, I thought that Brad would be the one to come on late. I had a Brad Riddell round three ticket and uh, it goes the other way. So uh, largely the fight I expected in terms of, you know, uh, Brad being the one to mix in the takedown attempts uh, and having some success kind of stunned when he abandoned it, you know, granted Fazeev was holding good position, but thought that he could have made a little bit more judicious use of that position. Um, and, you know, ultimately spent a lot of energy for no, no avail there. So uh, poor performance from Brad. Uh, overall, and I, I might have to reevaluate uh, where I think of him in this division because I, I thought that you know he was going to have some success um, in the fringe top ten of this division, and uh, it looks like now he's going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah, I mean, as far as evaluating him goes, I think that this is kind of a hard. Uh, it's kind of hard to evaluate him based on this because this is just a weird matchup with a guy who's got a similar style to him based on somebody that, you know, he's known and he's trained with kind of developed skills with that's always a like a very odd dynamic. So I think I would backpedal just a little bit on, uh, you know, evaluating him against other fighters just because this is a really weird matchup. But uh, as far as Fazayev goes, like, wow, I thought, you know, uh, something to think about Bobby Green seems to make fighters better every single fight that every single time that Bobby Green fights somebody and uh, just in the past like two years since the pandemic uh, era I feel like guys who have fought Bobby Green have just gotten better in their next fight and I thought that Fazayev showed that very explosive uh, and just that swagger kind of just like not letting you know, not letting his when Riddell would land on him, he just didn't let it didn't let it show. And it seems like Riddell, as 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 good as he is, he kind of lacks that explosiveness that uh, Fazayev had, and he's kind of was just matching or just a little bit less than uh, what his what Fazayev was putting out. And he just always seemed to be answering back. And I say that with all due respect; it's just my perspective through my bias or whatever, but it feels like every time that I back him, even in the fights that he's won, he just has this style. That's kind of just this tit for tat answering back, you know, kind of just playing to the pace of his opponent. And, uh, I thought Eugene Behrman in the second round, uh, in between rounds kind of got to him. Uh, I, I didn't know what was said to him, but he kind of came out different. He kind of was starting to lay it in a little bit more in the the beginning of the second round extending his combinations a little bit uh 
trying to put his fingerprint on the, on the fight a little more, trying to dictate the pace. And then uh, Dean Thomas said it best in between rounds. He said the exact same thing that you said. He looks stiff. And Fazayev looked way more relaxed, way more like he wanted to be in there. And then uh, right, you know, right as he said that, ironically, Riddell did a really good job of uh, starting to mix his takedowns with his strikes, uh, did a really good job of mixing that in with his grappling. And then... Uh, by the time we got to the third round, it, he was doing that, but it seemed like he was starting to get a little bit predictable. And then with Fazayev, that you know that when that you know that side range to the side, that step aside range that he has with that standing wheel kick, and uh, Riddell was just finished. Like say what you want, say what you want about Herb Dean. That was a spectacular high level stoppage because you know it's how good Fazayev is in close uh Riddell was injured and he was going to get more injured after taking that head kick so that was just a phenomenal stoppage by uh Herb Dean and yeah I I don't know it the thing about Fazayev is he's got a weird really striking heavy uh style so it kind of doesn't mesh well right now with what's going on in the lightweight division but this guy you know he improves now to five and one since his ufc debut in 2019 he's turned a profit of 3.46 units on the money line in that stretch uh and you know the one win that the the one loss that he has kind of to be honest you know just uncharacteristic of him when he was first coming in beyond that he's had some just really good performances like i mentioned the one against bobby green uh you know, uh, the Micano that, you know, he's just getting, he's getting better and better. And now I feel like this, he's absorbing these, you know, the, the traits of the guy that he's beaten because I really saw a little bit of Bobby green in him in this fight against Brad Riddell. And, uh, really surprised me. I thought Brad Riddell was going to show that, you know, kind of that veteran, you know, tinge to his game and it ended up being Fazayev. Uh, yeah. What did you, any other uh, thoughts you have on this one? Uh, yeah, man. I was just gonna say it reminded me of the uh, the Will Brooks Michael Chandler stoppage where he's like calling a timeout for himself. Uh, that's when I knew it was over um, because Brad has this like weird ability to get hit with a nuclear missile and then just go and like be right back to where he was. Um, but that catches up to you eventually, you know. And I I saw somebody uh, put out he's never been knocked out in kickboxing, boxing or mixed martial arts until tonight. Uh, and so I've seen a lot of instances of Brad getting touched on the chin, shaking it off and moving forward. And, um, you know, can't do that forever. I think that just caught up to him tonight and took a hard shot. Uh, and there was no, no blinking out of it. It was, it was all over. Yeah. And he, you know, he absolutely telegraphed it. And I feel like it was just, uh, I don't know. It was one of those like passing of the torch moments where you could just see the fight slipping away from Riddell more and more. And Fazayev was just, you know, starting to take control of it. And those little exchanges, they were just wearing on him more and more. It just seemed like it was unfortunate because I had fight goes a distance. Yes. In a parlay. And I thought, you know, this is, you know, I had Brad Riddell and I, it seemed like the fight was slipping away, but you know, hopefully we can just get out of this get to the decision but <laughs> sure enough nope and uh you know uh the over over backers as well because they had 
10 seconds at two minutes and 20 seconds into the third round uh if they just waited <laughs> if he just waited 11 more seconds if herb dean had you know one of his uh signature question mark stoppages there the over might have cashed but no uh luckily too because again Fazayev so good in close against those injured like against someone days like that we've seen what he's done to other guys uh so yeah props to herb dean for stepping in when he did um but yeah another uh pretty interesting i don't do you have any thoughts as far as uh matchups go with him in lightweight it seems like almost he's got such a he's got a good enough name i think that especially in europe and in russia that he's starting to become like a a legitimate needle mover and i i kind of feel like anything like top six or down is is uh is doable what do you think yeah i'm just pulling up the lightweight rankings now to see you know kind of the names that are in and around the space um Man, I'd love to see Fiziev and Joel Alvarez. I know they just announced a Joel Alvarez fight. Um, that guy, as far as I'm concerned, shouldn't be ranked in the lightweight rankings until he makes the weight class in the UFC, for Christ's sakes. But, um, you know, I do think he's a good fighter, and that would be a fun one um, in terms of the striking uh, prowess. You know, Joel Alvarez has been showing off the striking a lot in his recent fights. I think that would turn him back to a grappler fast uh, if he's fighting Fiziev. But, I also think, um, man, Brad Riddell, I think, is an interesting question. Where does he go from here uh, as well, yeah. coming from the 12 spot in the rankings? And, you know, I think Brad kind of shines in that anti-grappler role. He makes people work really hard. Uh, he's pretty stubborn, and he could punish people in the short burst that he gets. Um, you know, I think that's where he shined in the UFC so far. And so I, I kind of thought that in a striking battle, he would he would fare really well. But maybe let's get him back in there with a grappler. You know, I kind of like that Gregor Gillespie fight for him as a measuring stick of what he could do. Um, so that that's another name that comes to mind. But uh, a lot of these guys seem to be booked in the lightweight uh, rankings right now. So might have to let a couple other fights shake out and uh, get some winners and losers to look at. What about for Brad Riddell, uh, Tiago Moises, who just took that loss to Joel Alvarez? That might be a I think that's a fun one. Spot. Yeah. And then, yeah. like as as far as Fizayev goes, I all these a lot of these guys are booked. Uh, I, what about Dan Hooker? I know he's just coming off the loss with uh, Makachev, but Dan, that actually makes quite a bit of sense. Hooker and Fizayev. I don't think Hooker wants that, but no, yeah, I don't think so I would, either. But I, I would, uh, I would like to see that. I think that would be a, be a fun fight. fight. That would be unfortunate. I mean. This man, Dan Hooker, can't catch a break in the matchmaking either. You know, basically had Dustin Poirier on ice skates and uh, hasn't had a, yeah. a, you know, a ton of easy opportunities since. Yeah, I mean, and we'll talk about that. That I just feel like that that seems like that's one of those fights where you put out in like, uh, you know, Australia or in, you know, somewhere in uh, Eastern Europe on one of those fight island, you know, fight island. That's a perfect fight. Uh, Fazayev and Hooker. I feel like that would draw quite a bit. And then also uh, RDA would. It seems like quite a bit of a jump up, but uh, RDA and Fazayev might be doable. Uh, I don't know if he would take that fight though. To be completely honest. Uh, uh, RDA, yeah, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, it would be a. 
man, RDA, he, he's fought such a gangster schedule too. He deserves, if anybody deserves to be like, guys, nah, it's RDA. He should be waiting for a Connor fight or something like that. I, I think that's more appropriate for him. Yeah, or maybe like I don't know. I, maybe we'll see him pull up in like a catchweight bout or something because it seems like all these guys are booked. Like, and or it also seems like some of them. The thing about lightweight is all these guys have built themselves up so much of a name because of the division getting held up by the Habib and Connor and all that. That you know, almost the top ten of uh, of lightweight are all legitimate names. You know, you got Gregor Gillespie. <laughs> you know, pulling up at number 10 and Conor McGregor at number nine, it's kind of hard to be making mat, uh, you know, matchmaking from then on. Uh, so yeah, it's super interesting at lightweight, super intriguing as far as matchmaking goes. And then, you know, the most intriguing division, I guess, of the entire weekend got even more intriguing in the main event as Jose Aldo pulled off the upset to victory over Rob Font, cashing as a plus 125 underdog. He came through as on the unanimous de decision, plus 275 cashed on that prop. The over came through, minus 135 over in four and a half rounds. And the yes, fight goes to distance, yes, minus 135. And Jose Aldo finally gets over the Conor McGregor hump and improves to six and five since losing his featherweight belt in 2015. and. Uh, turned a profit of 1.18 units on the money line in that stretch. In that 11-fight stretch from, uh, I believe it was uh, Frankie Edgar was the fight that he had after McGregor. He was in UFC a, 200. He was in a brutal stretch where he was on, you know, at one point he was like, was I think it was like two and five after the McGregor loss or something like that. And now he's pulled off these. Yeah. He was two and five or four fights in a row or something like that, but he was not, not in a good run. And he finally gets over 500, six and five with uh, this win over uh, Rob font. And yeah, I don't know. I'll let, I'll let you share your thoughts first. We kind of talked about this one uh, uh, yesterday or this morning and it, it kind of played out it kind of played out how I thought, but it, it just kind of swung back and forth. Uh, give, give me your thoughts on this one. Uh, you know, this one, uh, I, I would say there was a lot of good um, and a little bit of bad from a betting perspective, but I, I just have to tip the hat to Jose Aldo. Um, oh, yeah. Legend, freaking love watching the man work. Uh, I tweeted after the fact I should have mortgaged my house on the Jose Aldo money line. Um, even though it was a little bit sweaty at times, even though he got his face jabbed up, the guy is an absolute warrior. Uh, I felt like his um, combination punching. I felt like the body work uh, and I felt like the leg kicks were going to be the difference makers here. I also thought uh, that he would be opportunistic in the grappling department. Uh, I did think his grappling or excuse me, his cardio would be able to hold up over five rounds. I know a lot of people uh, had concerns about that. I thought that if Font was to win this fight, he was going to have to build his way towards a late finish. I thought instead, you know, uh, he kind of tried to empty the tank a little early. You know, he was uh, swarming Aldo, trying to put a ton of pressure on him. I get where he was, you know, I get the idea behind that game plan. Just think that it was, uh, you know, 
not I, I feel like it wasn't the best put together game plan, if I'm being frank. You know, I felt like uh the way to approach that fight is to ease your way into it, to not absorb a lot of damage early. Uh, you know that Aldo's gonna tire out after three rounds, with all due respect again to the legend. That's just what it is. You know, Andre Pedneris is yelling at him in between the rounds, take this one off, you know, move backwards, like come in and come out when you're ready. Uh, and that's the kind of uh thing you have to expect from him. Uh, at this point, he was always a cardio manager, a fight manager. And I felt like Font didn't approach this like a, a cardio manager. He approached it like a berserker. Uh, and then he didn't have the stores to go. Uh, he was like pulling guard, you know, um, in some of those instances on the failed takedowns because he was tired. And uh, I also think that's attributed to the body work. I think, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think Aldo had many opportunities to finish. Uh, and probably could have, honestly, and didn't. Uh, he says after the fact, I wanted to prove I could go five rounds. Every fight doesn't go the desist, uh, to decision and under four and a half rounds backer. That's like, you know, just vomit inducing talk. Um, <laughs> and it was really disgusting for me as my track bet here. You know, my prediction article, I glowed over the fact that I thought Aldo would win the fight. Uh, and, you know, I didn't get to the window with a tremendous bet. And I certainly didn't get to the window uh, with a tracked bet on Jose Aldo this weekend. And that's a big regret for me because I felt like he was the side. Um, but I kind of let the line get the better of me here. And what I mean by that is I saw that I missed plus 150 and I'm like, ah, it's plus 125 now. You know, am I just chasing the line movement? Am I chasing steam here? And it was still a good bet at plus 125. It was an excellent bet as a matter of fact. And so I regret that I didn't trust my read enough there, but I'm proud of the read overall. I thought that this was how the fight would play out. And I thought that Aldo could win it over five. Um, and the king of fucking Rio, he stands again. Yeah, he does. It, 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 it's super frustrating. Like, uh, I totally agree with you. He font, he kind of Aljamain Sterling himself. It was very akin to Aljamain Sterling when he fought Peter Yan. He came out way too hot, and I thought it was just a bad move. And it's 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 kind of the second time that he's done this because he he did it against Cody Garbrandt, but it worked out against Cody Garbrandt. Uh, the thing is, is that you know the way I had Rob Font in this fight, and I had fight goes the distance. No, and this is now the second time where I've had a big fight goes the distance no bet in a Rob Font fight, and it just seems like. I don't know. He's playing the game where he's 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 playing up to his opponent's competition, but he's just not quite there. And then Aldo is doing almost the exact same thing, but in a different sense. And you know, it's it ends up being it's flat-footed Aldo against the fleet of foot Rob Font, but Rob Font gets caught at the end of these rounds flat-footed and that's when Aldo really starts to get into his groove and then that, that's when he starts to do the damage so that when he comes back into the start the next round Rob Fawn isn't as fleet of foot as he was to start in the previous round so he definitely looked like he, the the damage was you know wearing on him and it just Font's game plan seemed to be to just throw whatever was working and just clog up those lanes with volume and just try to nullify Aldo but I mean once you get out there in the ether, it's like what you see is what you get. And when it comes to going out there, you know, and to see who's the better man, you're against 
you know, I'm going to lean towards the former two-time featherweight champion if we're going, you know, who's the better man out there in the ether. And once again, it's just, it just seemed that Aldo, I can't, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but he just, he's, he has this way of like LeBron James, Le, LeBron James in his way through fights where he's resting well fighting well you know he and not even that he's you know holding or he's just he knows how to how to do it now he's just such a wily veteran that he just knows how to do it and font did a good job recovering turning the tide around a few times but then aldo was able to just pull it all the way back a couple of it just he whenever font was able to get the fight back going in in his direction Aldo was able to land another big either body shot or just another one straight down the middle that hurt Font and uh you know Font was he was there but not quite there and then Aldo was dying going into the fourth but again so was Font and uh Aldo was just the more wily of the two fighters and uh, Aldo is just so good at using his grappling and the threat of his submission grappling on the ground. Basically what we've never seen before in this sense that it's a way to rest and a way to kind of, like I said, LeBron James his way into resting while playing or resting while fighting. And he just uses his this, this, the threat of submissions, the threat of his grappling on the ground to evade, to get his opponents to just kind of tire themselves out and font did everything he could not to be finished by Aldo there at the end of that fight. And, uh, yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, what did you think about the scorecards? I, I, you know, two 50, 45s. I didn't see the fight 50, 45. Did you, um, to be honest with you, man, I was freaking out during that fight. I was not scoring it objectively at all. I was Aldo. You know, there was Brazilian flags flying in my home. Uh, all sorts of craziness going on here. So I can't say that I was giving an honest, fair look at the fight. Uh, but with that being said, I did feel like, you know, there was just these punctuating moments in every round that made you feel like Aldo had taken back control right at the end, I felt. And, you know... Aldo's one of these fighters that proves you can't just look at a stat line on a fight and figure out who won yeah. uh, because it's about the impact of the strikes, but it's also about, you know, when you see Rob Font get visibly wobbled, stumbling all over the place, it's about how you react to the shots. Um, and I, I felt like Aldo, everybody was talking about the power difference. Coming into this fight, the power metric supported Font having slightly more power than Aldo. I think the difference was this is 135 pounds. You know, Aldo, we have a limited sample size of him at this weight class, but he's been able to hurt people and get respect, kicked Peter Yan off his feet with the leg kicks. Like he can generate a lot of power and be impactful at this weight. And I think that Rob Font, you know, he's one of these guys who's big, tall, long. That there's a lot of value to that, but it also means that you've got you know these extended limbs that are big targets, uh, and that are you you've got to think weaker as a result of being less um, muscled. Like 
Jose Aldo is, is like, uh, you know, carved from stone at 135 pounds. And I felt like people had this impression of Rob Font, you know, going to just be able to touch him at, at distance and not get touched back because he was doing that to uh, Cody Garbrandt with like a six inch reach advantage. And I was like, Jose Aldo has like a one inch reach deficit here and he's fought with that kind of reach deficit in many of his fights. So what's likely to happen is that he's going to hit him at the end of his range with the body shot returns with the counters and Rob font gets stung on that counter return. Um, He's a little bit reactive. Like he's not the fastest guy. He's just, he thumps. And so I felt like he did, you know, lump up Aldo, especially with the jab because that's what he leans on all the time. I thought when Font committed to the uppercuts, he had much more success, but there wasn't enough of that. You know, he just couldn't get in behind the jab um, effectively enough. Aldo, you know, for as flat-footed as he is, Font likes when people retreat and reset all the time. He does not like when they hold ground and punch him back effectively. And it's now uh, how many Brazilian guys who hit the body and kick the legs that have, you know, turned off Rob Font. That's, that was my theory coming in here was that Aldo would be able to replicate the success of Lineker. Uh, and even, you know, uh, if you look back at the Ricky Simone fight, Simone hurt him to the body more than once. And I did not hear a lot of people talking about it in the lead up. Rob Font's just a little bit soft to the body. So I felt like, uh, Aldo was so smart to kick the body three times at the open, really set the tone there. I thought Rob Font had a pink belly, you know, 30 seconds into the fight. And then he went back to it with the body shots, but he didn't get over committed to any one attack. He mixed it up. And, you know, if you had to say like, what, what adjustment should you make here? Which I don't think the new England cartel is like the best in-fight adjusters out there. Um, if you look at that fight in particular, man, I thought Aldo made the smart adjustments every time font did not. Uh, and so he kicked him off his feet when font started to have success uh, in the third round. And uh, it just shows that vet savvy um, Jose Aldo bet against him at your own peril, man. That guy's a stud. Yeah. Like just the way that he lets the fight come to him. And I thought that it was pretty evident that, you know, that wasn't going to work, <laughs> you know, pretty clearly like uh, it was just one of those things where it, it, it was so weird to see both guys trying to implement their, you know, the way that they wanted the fight to dictate. And, it, you know, Aldo was just able to continually had, he had more ways to bring it more into his favor. And I feel like Font just needs to work on staying more active in the pocket and staying, you know, if he's going to play that rangy game, he has to stay rangy all the time, all throughout, you know, all throughout each each minute of each second of each round or else it just doesn't work and especially i feel like if he just stayed you know stayed a little bit more had a little bit more movement and obviously you know it's easy for me to say it, i'm not the one fighting but just the the way that in this style matchup with aldo aldo was he he clearly had the advantage in this in the striking matchup when font was flat-footed and when Aldo was you know in that more traditional boxing stance where Ed's font was you know moving pretty he was mobile but like I said at the end of the rounds Aldo was catching him and it was just it was just adding up adding up adding up and yeah you know it's so many so many crazy things with Aldo like 
it's got to be TJ next to him. And there's really not, there's really not anything else that it could be other, like it's got to be TJ or, I mean, or, or Sandhagen, but I don't even think he needs to get, uh, yeah, he needs to get the, basically the number two guy. He's on and, a three fight win streak. Now it's got to be TJ. Yeah, it's got, and, but the problem is that TJ might be out for a while, you know? So, uh, it might it might be one of those cases where it, he might have to take Sanhagen because Sanhagen's healthy. So uh, unless Aldo's willing to wait, which I I honestly don't know if he should because he's you know he's getting old. Uh, although I will say this crazy crazy thought: Jose Aldo is younger than Francis Naganu, which just blew my mind when someone said that to me <laughs> the other day. Yeah. Um, that is crazy, man. But dude, this is the thing I was going to mention before we get off it. I just want to give the credit to Rob Font because this guy started fighting when Jose, like I think his first amateur fights were when Jose Aldo was like well, well into his career in the UFC. Like this guy, Rob Font has closed the gap considerably. Have you seen somebody take down Jose Aldo and look effective? Like Chad Mendez, national runner up in the NCAA at 141 pounds, tried as he might for two fights and could hardly get this guy to his butt for a second. And, you know, granted, there's got to be some diminishment in the Aldo takedown defense. Uh, but still, man, for Christ's sakes, like Rob Font has closed the gap. He he regarded like 10 times against uh, somebody who's much more proficient and well-trained in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, even from really horrible positions. Like Rob Font didn't quit on himself tonight when a lot of no. guys would have and could have and just give it up the neck. Like at the end there when he's yeah. in the choke, yeah. all, nine out of 10 guys are like, fuck this. And they just give up. Uh, the guy is a fighter through and through just was in there with a better guy. It, was, it, it happens sometimes, but, uh, you know, even for a New Yorker, I got to give this man credit. R- Rob Font, you know, he fought his heart out and uh, nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, like you could tell for Rob Font at that moment when Aldo was putting cinching in that choke, you could tell that Rob Font was like, I don't care if you, you know, if you 50, you know, 50, 43 me, you are not. And you're not finishing me. I'm not letting you choke me out. And you could see just all of his might was he was just so relieved when he was able to break that and you know cinch out of that choke at the very end. And then the little the, victories. Yeah, the little, the little victories. <laughs> I feel like that's how he was content, like you know, to even stay in the octagon to want to chat after because uh, you know, for him to have gotten finished by Aldo there very late in the fifth round would have just been brutal. <laughs> it would have been devastating. But uh, the thing about Font, I'm looking at the rankings now. He's this loss doesn't honestly hurt him because he lost to Jose Aldo. You know, <laughs> like yeah, this, he moves this, one spot down. Yeah, and to and he lost to Jose Aldo. It doesn't even matter. You know, like you know what he, I'd like to see. Pedro font rematch. Run it again. That's well, what I was like. I was I think that it's gotta be I, I feel like font will now likely for sure get the winner of Pedro and Dominic Cruz, right? I it's gotta be, you know, the there's no other I don't think there's any other option. I don't think I mean Dvalashili is a pretty interesting matchup. I know that there's some history between those two teams, but uh even then, I feel like Font, 
I, if I'm fought, I, I go for lower. I, I'm going for lower because I want to. I want to get a win and a guy like, yeah, Pedro. Pedro's doable, win or lose, and then it's the same type of thing where you're fighting a legend in Dominic Cruz. And besides that, I, I think he's got it made in the shade. Like he's he can pretty much pick his matches in this crazy, crazy. You know. The the t- the top fifteen in bantamweight is just absolutely insane. You could fit, you know, you could have forty five guys in a in a bantamweight tournament in the world right now, and you're having hard pressed to think of a bad matchup between those forty five. So bantamweight is just crazy, and this, you know, the <laughs> we don't even have a we don't even have a legitimate title holder right now, albeit you know, Aljamain Sterling commenting on jose aldo and it's it's just so we already saw aldo and peter yawn and that fight was so much closer than we remember it you know like the the first three rounds of jose aldo and peter yawn were pretty close until it wasn't close at all anymore but uh that's a yawn fight huh that son of a bitch yeah it's yeah it's 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 pretty interesting what you do with uh Bantamweight right now. And then, like I said, Jose Aldo, it's either wait out for Dillashaw or I think they're, I don't know because who's, you know, we, I guess we were waiting for Peter Yawn versus Aldermaine Sterling, that matchup to ultimately happen. So yeah, if I'm Aldo, I'm, I'm kind of just, you know, putting the pedal down and being, getting whatever I can get. With me saying this, it just sounds like we're probably going to see Aldo versus Sanhagen just based on the probabilities of everything and both of those guys probably wanting to fight sooner rather than later. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Sanhagen Aldo in like March, like UFC 272 or something. Uh, Yeah. All right. So let's talk about before we go, let's get into next week really quickly. We got a pretty crazy, you know, I got to say this is definitely for people who have followed on this channel and, you know, my work on other channels. This is like my ultimate. This is the my two favorite fighters. I mean, I I would say with Oliveira, my, you know, favorite fighter of right now and then with Poirier, my favorite fighter of pretty much all time going at it uh lightweight belt finally a chance for Poirier to get the undisputed gold second chance for him and then uh Charles Oliveira really to you know solidify himself his first title defense uh in this one Poirier comes in he's like a minus 165 favorite right now I see and uh Oliveira plus 140 on the money line what are your thoughts on this one this is an absolute banger. And, uh, you know, lightweight matchups, they're normally very competitive um, because you got just like the selection process to get into the UFC at lightweight is tough. And then, like you mentioned, everybody in the top 15 has built up a pretty credible resume. So to rise to the top of that division um, to get to a title fight is very impressive, right? Um, I had a wager last time out um, for Charles Oliveira on, on Chandler round one uh, TKO and Chandler money line at plus 125. 
and it was because I felt like it was a, uh, you know, a coin flip type matchup. I felt like Charles could submit him. I felt like Charles could knock him out. I felt like Michael could submit him and I felt like Michael could knock him out. And I know people might think I'm crazy, but uh, I actually thought that that was a really legit attempt uh, on the guillotine from Chandler, that fight as well. Like Chandler has good skills. Uh, and in the first round of a fight, he he's just a live uh, fighter. He's got a lot of power in both hands uh, and he's got just, you know, good, good, um, you know, power from the ground and pound positions as well. Just, Fought a pretty silly fight, I thought, uh, overall. Stayed in the guard of Charles Oliveira when it was clearly giving him, like, paranoia of the highest level. So you could see him getting redder and redder in the top position. And uh, when I saw the visual of them in between rounds, I knew my bets were all gone. And uh, I think that, you know, Charles Oliveira gotten better at uh, answering adversity. And, you know, Dustin Poirier, at excellent fighter, you know, also can answer the bell. Um, I think he's just taken a lot of damage over the course of his career, been in a lot of really hellacious fights. Uh, and I think that in this matchup, uh, some of the tools that he's used to bail himself out uh, in matchups that get tough and gritty down the stretch, like wrestling people uh, to the floor and staying on top. It's not to say it's impossible he could do that here. I just think it's less likely he'll do it comfortably. Uh, and I actually think that Charles is the better wrestler in the matchup. Um, you know, probably not by a massive margin, but he's got a really good, uh, frame. He's long, he's got a lot of leverage. He knows how to use it and he's crafty, right? So if Dustin is like trying to sprawl, then he could try and turn that into, uh, you know, different kind of front headlock entanglements, leg entanglements. But if he's not trying to sprawl and he's trying to push himself back to the fence, you know, Charles is pretty expert at hopping on the back, um, you know, not like Brendan Allen at, at 185 tonight where he kind of lost that position. Charles is a magician uh, when he gets on the back. Uh, and so ultimately, you know, when I watch that Khabib fight back, it just makes me think that this could be a really, really tough fight for Poirier uh, if Charles is able to get on his back at any point. Um, it seems like he was a little bit panicky in that position. Uh, his hand fight sort of fell apart at a certain point. You know, uh, it seems like if you're going to test the mental fortitude of Dustin Poirier, it's not going to be in a blood and gut striking affair. We've basically had that borne out in front of our eyes several times. So unless you're going to off switch him, which I don't think is outside the realm either. You know, Charles has pretty pinpoint strikes, long levers for arms. He hits hard. He hits from different angles. Uh, he's gotten more creative with his strikes over time. Um, the Jared Gordon knockout, you know, made everybody think that Jared Gordon is just a complete no chin guy. And, uh, he's kind of put a little bit of that to bed. I think that, you know, that, that has aged, uh, a little bit better than people realize. So I think that the impressive win streak of Charles Oliveira, uh, is something I can't ignore the fact that he's walking in with the title belt, uh, and he's coming in with the plus money distinction. I can't ignore that. Uh, and I think that because he's got more paths to victory in the fight, um, I think, Dustin submitting Charles outside of the uh, fourth or fifth round would be a, a little bit of a surprise to me, frankly, whereas uh, Charles, uh, I think he's live to finish this fight in every round uh, in every position. And I think that, you know, if this fight sees the scorecards, um, you know, I might have a heart attack, you know, I, I might have to oh, yeah. uh, wash my eyeballs and start betting on a new sport or something. But uh, I, I think this has violence written all over it. I think somebody is going to be, 
uh, snoring within the first three rounds one way or the other. And uh, I think this is a, a tremendous treat for us fight fans uh, that watch this stuff week in and week out. You know, we slog through the tough ones to get to fight nights like this where we're going to have, you know, just banger after banger and punctuated by one of the greatest fights uh, that the UFC could make right now. So let's get it done. Uh, two guys that have earned their keep that have grinded and stuck around uh, in a tough division where you don't get easy fights. Uh, and they've really put together impressive resumes. I just think that, you know, the public is going to love that Dustin Poirier beat Conor McGregor um, in his last two fights. For me, it tells us a little bit less because Conor's like on the on the celebrity tour a little bit. Um, but I did think that Conor, you know, had really sh- good moments in the fir- in that last fight. You know, a lot of people will disagree with me there. I understand that. Uh, but I, I thought that Connor, you know, landed some shots that rocked Dustin uh, and and scrambled him a little bit and made him panic a little bit. But when he was on top, he was able to get that comfort back. Uh, he was able to put the toes in the cage for just a second and get out of that guillotine. And uh, once he was on top, he made him pay. And I just don't know that he's going to have as many avenues uh, against Charles where some guys have gotten on top and felt comfortable, but then it ultimately went back to bite them. Ask Kevin Lee. Um, you know, if you go one too many times to that, well, Charles can make you pay if you get there once. And he's got those long, really long, uh, gangly arms, man. That's, that's tough, um, to avoid submissions with somebody like that. So unless we see, you know, Charles, um, do a quit job here, uh, I I think that it's going to be a very competitive fight where plus 140, uh, looks a little bit crazy hindsight, but, uh. You know, that that would be my initial thoughts on this matchup. I'm uh, going to tape it a little bit deeper. Thoughts may change after that. But uh, preliminary, I, I think that Charles is probably the value side. And uh, I like him to win this fight outright. Yeah, like <clears throat> for me, if, if we're going by the odds, it's Oliveira all day. As far as who I think is going to win, I can't call it. I honestly can't call it. I th- because both of these guys have exceeded the expectations so many times that it's it's meaningless to try to you know cap them and to try to say they can't do this or they can't do that. So I I, I feel like if this is a if this fight wasn't lined based on like a bookie line, it should be 50-50. But based on just you know public perception and ha- the need for two way action, I see why there it the line is the way that it is, but. You'll never get Charles Oliveira at this price ever again. And it's not even that he's, it's, it, I feel like he's the way that you explain that he's crafty. It's, it's just that his, he's so athletic and he's so dangerous in those p- positions that other guys aren't. Just go and watch, just go and watch Charles Oliveira versus Tony Ferguson. Okay. Tony Ferguson, you know, supposed to be one of the a super high level, uh, you know, grappler, and Charles Oliveira made him look pedestrian. He transitioned on him like it was, uh, you know, like it was training, and he, it, it, he's so elusive in those positions where Dustin. You're right. Dustin finds comfort in going to those positions when he's in trouble. And if he reverts to that, he's going to be in trouble. 
and uh, just the way that I'm talking this out with you, it seems like there's more ways for Charles to win this fight than there is for Dustin. <clears throat> the thing about it is that we've discounted Charles Oliveira's striking, and he's shown us multiple times that his striking is his striking is there. Uh, his striking, I would it it's precision. He doesn't have crazy power but he has the precision and he times things really well really well and he's very he, he hits you with the shot that you don't see coming um so yeah i i gotta i gotta lean Oliveira. just some numbers here uh dustin poirier in his last 22 fights 16 5 and 1 in his last 22 fights since 2012 uh, he's won 11 of those 16 inside the distance. It's very familiar to Charles Oliveira. Oliveira 20 and 8 since 2010. 14 of those 20 uh, inside the distance. Uh, both of these guys, you look at Dustin Poirier inside the distance, 11, 10, and 1 in his last 22 fights, plus 10.6 units on the inside the distance prop. And then Oliveira right there, 14 and 8 in 22 fights, 9.98 units on the inside the distance prop. Oliveira has gone under the betting total in 15 of his last 22 fights. Poirier has gone under the betting total in 11 of his last 22 fights. Um, you think about both of the times that these guys have gone to decision in their recent time, uh, recent memory. Uh, Poirier went to decision against Hooker. That was a really, you know, tough fight for him. And I feel like that's kind of, I don't know what it was about him in that fight because he, he the, the, I don't know. There was just something about him. He kind of like broke out of a shell in that fight. He didn't seem like himself in the early moments. And then after getting almost destroyed, getting put on ice skates by Hooker, he kind of regrouped. And came out and has looked great in in fighting since turning around that fight against Hooker, with the two solid performances against McGregor. But I point to uh, the fight against Max Holloway. Uh, I feel like that fight really showed. I think that that fight was like probably his best stand up fight performance i know that you know everybody will point to mcgregor the two mcgregor wins but i feel like just he showed everything that he could uh just as far as going the full five against uh, max at uh usc 236 then we look at charles Oliveira. the last time that he went to decision was that fight that I just mentioned against Tony Ferguson, which I think, you know, he's had this crazy run of most finishes in the UFC. That fight that he had against Tony Ferguson, I think, the 30-26 performance, that might have been his best fight in in his whole career, of at least in his UFC career, in my opinion. Uh, you know, apart from knocking out Michael Chandler to win the belt, what he did to Tony Ferguson basically, you know, took the boogeyman persona away from Tony Ferguson piece by piece in that fight. Uh, the guy will never be the same after that, at least in my eyes, from what Charles Oliveira, you know, from the person that Tony Ferguson 
was and what we thought he was going into that fight versus who he was coming out of it and the person he went into it against Benil Dariush, you know, Charles Oliveira broke that man. And because of that, I feel like it's just the, the will and the determination and the heart. It's hard to go against Poirier, but you'll never get that price on Charles Oliveira ever again, unless he fights Habib, unless he fights Habib or McGregor. And that'll be, that's a completely different story. But this fight, in in this landscape, I think yeah, you got to go with Poirier, and I think I'm sorry, <laughs> you got to go with Charles Oliveira. You have to go with Charles Oliveira at that price, at plus money. If it was the other way, if Poirier was getting the plus money, I'd say yeah, you probably have to go with Poirier. But this fight is pretty much, I think, fifty fifty, and if you're getting that much of a plus money price at plus one forty five on Charles Oliveira who's one of the best grapplers in lightweight history, period, you got to go with it. And, uh, yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't really, I, I don't really, you know, if somebody has a staunch argument that they're saying that they're going in on Poirier, it's just hard for me to, as based on the the, the value, I, I just don't want to, I wouldn't want to bet 165 and even at like a, a, like a plus 115 or something inside the distance on Poirier, I, I just don't see it because so much of what Poirier does good, Charles Oliveira does better. So, uh, yeah. What do you think? Any other final thoughts on that one? I really think that most of the argument would be based around, you know, a perceived striking advantage, um, you know, potentially uh, a cardio advantage. You know, all I would mention is that, we have seen, you know, I feel like the Kevin Lee fight is a weird fight. If you go back and watch that one, um, Charles looked like he was about to like pull a quit job at one point in that fight. And then yeah. he just like found his way back into it. You know, he, he like looked like he was thinking about, and then he's like, ah, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll work my way back here. I am just concerned. Uh, the Paul Felder fight is the other one that comes to mind. You know, if Poirier is able to get him down, the McGregor fight is a live outcome where he's like on top, just swarming him with ground and pound when he's the freshest as well. Dustin's a dangerous guy. You know, he could definitely thump somebody uh, and he can just drop. Although, somebody. Yeah. I will say this. You remember when how good Oliveira was at evading Chandler when Chandler was going in for those big strikes when Chandler dropped Oliveira. I feel like that he he might he's good at that weird like using his opponent's you know ability to try to finish him you know against them by like he tries to evade them and then his opponent ends up getting gassed and then that's when he you know he grabs a hold of them he's got that weird style where it's almost like a rope-a-dope ground game and i feel like that it, that's a live uh possibility here too where if poirier you know, ends up getting him down against the cage, similar to the uh, McGregor, um, the end of that first round. And, you know, if it's if you were back in that scenario, you know, if that's Oliveira, that's not a that's that's not an ideal position, in my in my opinion, for uh, for Poirier because one of those strikes misses and he gets that arm. You know, look again, look at what uh, what Oliveira did to Ferguson in those positions. You know, I, I feel like he he he's gonna he he'll be able to wrap him up pretty quickly. Uh, what do you think about that? Just like if it gets into that ground and pound situation with him, you know, stacking him up against the cage, 
as I, I feel like Oliveira, he has, even if he gets in one of those rough situations, I think he has the tools to get out of it. What do you think? I think he should. Uh, and like I mentioned, you know, I do think he actually has made um, substantial mental improvements. I feel like that was what was holding Charles back. You know, he never lacked for skill. Uh, it just seemed like if the fight started going the other way, you know, he, he might've had the good hammer, bad nail uh, case going on, but seems like he's corrected a lot of that. And, you know, I, I did take uh, a pretty big bet, two units uh, on, uh, you know, Oliveira at the plus 145 tag against Tony Ferguson, because I felt like Tony kind of had the mojo beat out of him by, by Gaethje as well. You know, I felt yeah. like, fight was like a a life-altering fight um should have been stopped so so much earlier um really unnecessary damage just he was being treated like a punching bag for several rounds and i know he dropped him with the uppercut at one point i i just felt like tony was never really in that fight um and and it was really costly for his career too and i thought that you know it's just been a snowball since then i i did bet against him twice um, with Benil as well, I, I thought the same thing was going to happen there. Uh, so, you know, you got the underdog tag with Charles for some reason, and then Benil is a significant favorite because the secret was out, right? I think that, you know, in this case, Charles Oliveira, like you mentioned, this might be the last time we get these plus money odds because if he beats somebody like Dustin Poirier, then the secret's out. And, you know, Charles coming in here, if he had been an underdog against Michael Chandler, I'd have bet him there as well. You know, like you mentioned, sometimes on these fights, we're looking to just play an odds-based perspective. And I feel like these lightweight elite matchups are often coin-based uh, or coin-flip type fights. You yeah. know, even when I bet on McGregor against Poirier, the justification in my mind was that the line had moved from minus 300 McGregor to plus 125 McGregor. And on top of that, it's an elite lightweight matchup where either guy could win. So give me the underdog for a small bet this time. You know, I think it's again, going to be an underdog play for me on the main event. And uh, I, I think if you're getting a champion at an underdog distinction and they have more paths to victory, you know, it's just a no brainer for me at that point. They're also similar age, uh, slight frame advantages on the Oliveira side. Um, there's just a lot of things that point to him as a valuable bet in my opinion. Yeah, like I, I, I can't get past the point of just you might never see this price on this fighter ever again. And, you know, it'll be like unless he fights Habib or if we get a like a crazy, um, you know, uh, inflated line because of pu the public coming in on if he were to fight like a McGregor. But besides that, besides those two scenarios, I don't think if he wins this fight, I don't think we'll see a line on him at, like this ever again. Um, okay, besides that, really quickly, because uh, there's, I'm not even, we'll try to just limit this to one because there's so many bangers on this fight card next week. Can you think of one fight where you think of a sneaky underdog on ne next week's card? Oh, uh, you know, I I have been looking at the fight uh, matchups, but not at the odds. So let me go take a peek at the odds here and see where I could find a sneaky underdog play uh, that let, I am liking. Let me just uh, throw one at you uh, just to see what – I mean, I got uh, – I'll always do this, and this, you know, this is, you know, even just for content's sake, but uh, I got to go with uh, 
I got to go with fading the sugar show. You know, I, I feel like uh, we, we saw with Paiva against Kyler Phillips. This dude is super tough. He's got a, a like, um, you know, a cinder block for a head. He's he's really really tough. Uh, and you know, I feel like if this fight goes to decision, we're kind of playing that game where uh, there's a chance where as long as he wins one clear round, you're giving up, you know, you're getting almost plus 300 odds right now on uh, Paiva. I, I see it plus 270. I would not be shocked if it gets to plus 300 by fight time. All you need is one clear round and then a judge to have a prevailing uh, scorecard to win a fight like that. And, you know, uh, O'Malley has had, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's had, you know, subpar opponents. And I feel like this is one of those setup fights where, you know, Rollin Piva is coming off a win against Kyler Phillips. <laughs> you know, this is a, this is not a step down. This is a huge step up uh, as far as cans go. And Piva is not a can. And if he comes out and tries to do the, you know, the tit for tat game, like he did against uh, uh, Montino, it's not going to work. And I'm not saying that, you know, Paiva is going to come out here and start uh, Sean O'Malley, but I feel like there's a case to be made for betting him at like plus 300 if uh, based on the assumption that this fight goes to the decision. And it's the same type of thing. Watch, watch what happened with uh, Phillips and Pava. It was this, and I had, I had Pava in that one too. And it's the same type of thing. He's just going to goad you into a, a, just a, a, a brawl. And I don't know if O'Malley is, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I haven't seen personally enough from Sean O'Malley to say that he should be like a minus three something favorite against uh, the type of fighter that I've saw Rawling Paiva, uh, at least in that fight against Kyler Phillips. What's your take on that? Uh, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, honestly. So I did bet Holly and Paiva at, uh, I want to say, plus 240 um, against Kyler Phillips. Very small bet for me, but I thought it was value. And I also had a prop bet as well on Paiva by decision in that fight. So that was a nice cash for me. Uh, and, you know, obviously, if I bet it last time, um, you know, I think it it makes a lot of sense to bet again. I believe uh, I might be speaking out of turn here. I think O'Malley and Phillips are teammates yeah. uh, as well. Or they together. used to be, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's same kind of scene out in Arizona. I agree with you, that point about Mutino. Granted, it was a fight on short notice. Don't want to ding O'Malley too bad for that. Do think that he has, you know, very plus level um, striking statistics. That's something that jumps off the page at me uh, on the Sean O'Malley side. However, I do think Paiva is the kind of guy uh, who's hard to nuke. He's got good recoverability. Um, he's shown that he can come back and win rounds after being, you know, basically 10 aided and killed in the first round. Uh, and so I think Paiva is a soldier. Um, you know, he's been on the wrong end of split decisions before as well. Uh, but I do think overall, when you look at uh, the value side, you know, it's it's very hard for Sean O'Malley, who's a primary striker, to justify that minus 320 price tag, especially against, you know, Holly and Paiva, who may try to look, uh, you know, 
for a takedown or two, you know, not, not to say that's, uh, you know, his go-to, but if he gets stung, would I be stunned? No. Uh, Sean, you know, it, it benefits him to be a little noodly in the striking, but it might be a little bit of a detriment in the grappling exchanges. Um, so obviously he's been working on that, going to jujitsu tournaments, that kind of thing. But I think Sean O'Malley could get exposed a little bit in the, the grappling department uh, if Ali and Paiva decides uh, to take the fight that direction. So who knows, man? I, I do think um, Sean O'Malley's good, but he's going to get you know a ton of public love here. Uh, this is going to be a, a pretty well uh, viewed fight card, you would think. Probably decent betting volume as well. Um, in terms of betting volume outside the main event, it's like, guys, this is obviously going to be one of the most bet fights on the card. Uh, on the side of the favorite, on the side of O'Malley inside the distance, on the side of O'Malley by knockout. Um, so for that reason, you know, fading the narrative is probably just a profitable plus EV play here, um, which is why I will I will try and do it. And then win, lose, or draw, I could feel good about it. If Piva does get nuked, you know, it's a plus 270 ticket. Um, whereas if Sean, you know, fades down the stretch like he was starting to against Mutino, who really wasn't throwing much back, was just presenting himself as a punching bag all night uh, with all due respect. So I, I think that Piva's going to throw back uh, and he's not going to be afraid of the name. So I, I kind of uh, like that shout from you. Uh, you know, there's somebody that I'm looking at here I don't love the measurables necessarily, um, but Kaikara France as an underdog, you know, uh, this is an experiment um, for Cody Garbrandt dropping down to 125. Seems like it's the right time for him. You know, uh, got pieced up by Rob Font uh, in a fight where he didn't look all that competitive, but uh, he also, you know, gave me some signs that I didn't like in that fight, you know, checked out mentally halfway through kind of gave up on winning had to be talked back into fighting by his corner was doing well gets hit with some resistance and he's like back back to just skirting the octagon and not looking to win so uh that would frustrate me that would uh put me off of uh betting cody in this favorite distinction uh and at a plus 150 tag you know kaikara france knocked out Hosherio Bontarin, uh, recovered uh, from being in a really bad spot there from a grappling perspective. You know, the guy wants to keep the fight on the feet. He's going to be shorter than Cody here, um, which could be to his detriment, but he does have a slight reach advantage. Um, and I think that this is going to be a pretty competitive boxing fight overall um, where Cody doesn't really mix in his wrestling and grappling very effectively. Uh, normally he gets people down and can't really work up the body. Um, you know, he, he just gets stuck at the legs. So I don't think that Cody's going to have a tremendous amount of success grappling here. Um, if he does, you know, that would be probably smart for his career. I think the fact that Cody didn't get chin checked, um, in his last fight by Rob Font is giving people some confidence, uh, that his chin is good, but I, I am a little suspect of the chin, especially at 125 here. Um, for Cody, he's absorbed a lot of damage in his career. Um, hasn't made a ton of progressions as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if the move to Mark Henry is going to pay dividends. And, you know, if it does, um, it might still take more time for that to play out. It didn't look like it had been fully fleshed out the last time they were in there. So maybe this is going to be the rejuvenation he needs dropping down to 125. But I, it's kind of like a, I have to see it to believe it for me. Uh, on Cody Garbrandt, maybe I'm going to wait to weigh-ins to uh, make a play here. This isn't a fight I've taped in depth, but just looking at the plus 150 tag next to, um, you know, 
his name, Kaikara France, that that makes me interested uh, initially. And yeah, I have I, faded him in the past, by the way. So it's not like, uh, you know, I'm just like a, a KKF, uh, you know, fan. It's just I think this is a winnable matchup for him. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think that, uh, yeah, Cody Garbrandt, I feel like if you're betting on a fighter that's, you know, in his 30s, dropping down 10 pounds to the smallest men's, you know, weight division in the UFC, and you th- you're confident in him as a favorite, I think that you have some things that you need to reevaluate because there's no reason that he should be a favorite of this size in this matchup. This is a pick em at best, in my opinion. And Kai Kara France kind of hasn't, uh, hasn't performed to expectations. I'll say, uh, based on the hype that he had coming in, we, one of those city kickboxing guys, but, uh, you know, this is a good spot for him. And this is not a good spot for Cody Garbrandt based on the number. You know, I see minus 145 at five dimes right now, plus plus 145 at FanDuel. That's it's Kai Kara France all day. And then another thing, this is another one of those fights. There's not a line on it, but you will probably get plus money on fight goes to distance. No, in this matchup. And that's one where, you know, small, uh, you know, um, trying to. Just trying to capture some variance and using it on my side. I love to bet these types of fights where the whole market thinks it's going to go the distance. And what better way, you know, fading a guy that's dropping down in weight class that has been chin checked before? Uh, you know, both these both guys the actually. Both I, of them. Yep. Yeah. Cody Garber has been chin checked before, but both of these guys have been, you know, have have been dropped so uh i feel like if you're getting plus money on yeah if you're getting plus money on fight goes distance no in that matchup i think that's a good one really quickly before we wrap it up i just wanted to go back to the sean o'malley point um because everybody talks about for some reason that chris moutinho he gets a lot of love uh you know i i guess for the hair or whatever coming in on short notice but it was the fight for me with uh, Sean O'Malley that was against Thomas Almeida that made me be like, okay, there's something up with this guy. Because even against Almeida, who is like 5'7", and Sean O'Malley is 5'11", he listed at 5'11", but he's probably closer to six foot, And uh, Almeida was landing at some times, hurting Sean O'Malley. And you look at both of those fights, uh, you know, O'Malley finished both of them, but you look at the times, three minutes, 52 seconds late in the third round against Almeida, four minutes and 33 seconds late into the third round against Moutinho. That is not going to happen against Raleigh Pava. If if it gets into those later phases of the fight, O'Malley is going to be so gassed from trying to finish him that that's where you get the you know that's where you have it where you could see it that O'Malley's just finished and Paiva ends up on top in top position or something like that where you see you know he might have been winning the early part of the third round but then he's completely gassed and because he you know he made a case for himself to win the second round or something like that you know it, all you need is all you need is one of those 
you know, split 50, 50 rounds and a clear round in your way, in your way. And you're cashing on a plus 300 ticket. And you know, it, the thing about it is just like you said, this is a card that's built for him and it's a specific matchup built for him. I think it, like you said, it has to do with the, you know, uh, the relation to his team and, and Kyler Phillips, they probably, you know, scouted Rollin Paiva the same way that they scouted Almeida and Moutinho. And, you know, he picks his opponents. And I feel like one of these times, similar to what happened with Cheeto Vera, it's going to go, it's going to go against him. And I feel like this is, uh, I love doing this because I love fading the the narrative. And it's also, it's, you know, it's good for the bank account when it comes through, but I'm going to cut this video and people are going to lose their minds and I'm going to get, you know, shit on by trolls for a good week on YouTube, but that's okay because I do think, and I'm going to bet Rollin Pava to win that fight. And, uh, that off the top of my head, that's the, the biggest underdog for me. And, uh, yeah, before we wrap it up, do you have any last thoughts on that one on the, the just next week's card in general? Uh, absolutely. Well, just to, to bolster your point a little bit, you know, I don't want to give away too much, uh, in terms of, you know, my thought process and everything, uh, too early, because I do want to, you know, give a little bit of a deeper look to some of these matchups, give guys full credit, uh, and respect. But that being said, you know, Paiva just has a lot of things I would want to see in somebody I'm going to bet against Sean O'Malley. What I mean by that is I don't think he's going to die on the first exchange. I don't think he's going to be put off by the fact that he's getting hit. We've seen examples of that. And then on top of that, you know, the guy throws more leg kicks than Sean O'Malley does. Uh, Sean O'Malley, you know, I'm going to keep saying it because I do think it's true. Sean O'Malley can, you know, have a little bit of fragility in that leg region. I, I think it's because of his height, his length. You know, I, I mentioned it in the Rob Font example. I think it's true in all these examples. You know, Mutino, when he was landing, often wasn't having success finding Sean's chin. He was touching him to the body a little bit. Uh, and I think that those are the kind of targets that Paiva will be able to land on here. And I think if he's smart, he'll try and add up that attritional work um, early and often because he's probably not going to knock out O'Malley. But if you look at O'Malley's stats, you know, all the things that are beautiful about them, right? He's very accurate. He throws a lot. You know, he lands a lot. Doesn't get hit all that much. Okay, all that is true. But the thing that's, you know, also a reality is this guy hits a lot of people and doesn't knock him out. You know, he knocked out the one guy um, who was well over the hill, you know, um, who was that? McDonald. Um, but outside Eddie of that, Weiland. Or Wineland, excuse me. Jeez, they kind of look a little similar. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think all things uh, being equal, this is this is not a great um, place to bet O'Malley as a massive favorite. Uh, that's all I'd say. You know, we've just seen Paiva perform in this odds range. Uh, and the market's obviously low on him, but he overperforms expectations. The market is obviously high on Sean O'Malley. And I had an O'Malley ITD ticket last time, and I almost puked. You know, he's fighting a UFC newcomer and puts him, you know, puts every shot on him. And I think Mutino had been finished in regional MMA. So as much as we want to give credit to Mutino in that spot for being tough and, and doing all the, you know, hard work of, of eating the shots, it's concerning that O'Malley can land enough volume to gas himself um, without finding a finish. I think he's got a a 0.8% knockdown rate um, and Paiva has like 0.6. So it's not, there's no massive gap in power. The difference is we've seen uh, Paiva get rocked and dropped 
and we haven't seen it from O'Malley. So everybody's going to think, you know, only one guy could get hurt and dropped here. And I don't think that's true. The thing about it, like Paiva might get hurt and dropped, but I don't think he's going to get knocked out cold. And I keep pointing to this, watch the Thomas Almeida fight because he was, you know, O'Malley had a significant size advantage against a guy who was coming off eye surgery. He might not even have continued to, you might not see him fight again in the UFC since then. And, you know, O'Malley was not making it look easy against that guy. And he, again, if he has that type of performance against uh, Rawling Paiva, who is extremely tough, extremely, extremely tough. And like I said, you just need the variance to go on your side. You need a 50-50 round and you need a clear, you know, a clear round, definitive round in your favor. And you're cashing a plus 300 ticket and it's that easy. And uh, yeah, basically that's uh, that's what I want for a big underdog. And, uh, you know, it's I think it's just perfect because you're getting we're getting that exposure. He for, you know, he has that uh, the hype towards him. There's a lot of people who just follow you know, Sean O'Malley that aren't even big, you know, MMA fans they are just fans of him as a persona. So, uh, you know, we're going to get a little bit of love on him and hopefully we'll get a bit of inflated line. Even if we get more than plus 300, I wouldn't be surprised, but, uh, yeah, I will look forward to that. And yeah, I'll look forward to UFC 269 next week. We've gone about almost two hours here. Thanks so much for uh tuning in like i said please like and subscribe the video uh hit up the channel follow us on twitter almac odds and liam picks fights uh and then combatodds.ca, of course and yeah thanks for everyone for tuning in we'll be here i'll be here next week for the post fight show uh running out a whole bunch of guests and uh yeah thank you so much liam for joining me it's a it's a it's a late one but uh yeah it, it's got to be late for these uh these late events because you know we're getting ahead of the the sunday rush so all these people could have some content to uh to look up and i'll get that sean o'malley cut up video for all the trolls to uh hate on as well so yeah and uh yeah thanks a lot guys thanks for tuning in very much appreciated. We'll have a bunch more content heading up for UFC 269 over at combatodds.ca. And uh, yeah, any parting words, Liam? Uh, I'll just say thank you very much for having me on, buddy. Uh, the reason we went long here tonight is because we could talk about these fights, uh, you know, day and night. A lot of fun. Always uh, entertaining. Love going back and forth with you, especially Al. Uh, enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to another one in the future. So God bless everybody. Enjoy those fights. Uh, hope that you got something out of this and, you know, looking to get back on the horse. You know, had a tough one here. Going to dust myself off. And, uh, you know, I already see a lot of spots I like. And it's five in the morning. Why stop working now? I'm going to keep going. And until uh, I crash out today, I'm feeling good. And I think uh, I already got some bets I'm going to move in on. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be going as soon as we stop. As soon as I press end broadcast, I'm going to be going and uh, making some plays because now I'm I'm just itching to bet that uh, Holland Piva <laughs> money line right now. So, yeah, I'll be on that. And uh, like I said, follow us on Twitter. We'll be up. We're always up. And, uh, yeah, talk to you then. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers.